are here at church, that is a good thing. We're going to worship together. Um, I'm Ben Harris. Normally, I'm just in the seats with you guys, uh, but today I get to be up here leading you guys. So thank you for that. Uh, Let's stand together um, and worship our God. We're going to sing this song called You Never Fail, um, talking about the name of Jesus Christ and the role it plays in our life. Um, I want that to be something that we wrestle with as we worship. Um, What does the name Jesus Christ, what role does that play in our lives? Um, Because there is power in that name. We're going to sing to that this morning, that there is a powerful name is the God we serve. Um, But here, let me teach you guys the chorus of the song. It goes like this. For there is no one like our God. There's no one like our God. There's nothing that can stand against you. There's no stronghold you can't break. No life that you can't save. Oh, our God, you never fail. Here we go. So if you can pick it up, please sing along with us. But if not, just consider these words to sing. When waters rise all around me When mountains stand in the path I see I look to love that's unfair I look to grace that is all I need Oh, call, call upon me Jesus Christ, the only name that says, let's sing it together. For there is no one like our God, there's no one like our God, there's nothing that can stand against you, there's no stronghold you can't break, no life that you can't save, our God you name. shine through the darkness. Your light will shine through the darkness. Your one will calm every crash away. My hope it lies in your promise. My faith it stands on the empty grave. Christ, the only name that saves. For there, for there is no one like our God. There's no one like our God. There's nothing that can stand against you. There's no stronghold you can't break. No life you can't save. Our God, you Strong through every child and faithful through the night. Oh, strong through every 
Jesus Christ, the only name that saves. Sing that again. Call upon the name. Oh, call, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, the only name that saves. Sing it if you know it. For there is no one like our God. There's no one like our God. There's nothing that can stand against you. There's no stronghold you can't break. No life that you can't save. Our God, you never fail. Before there is no one like our God. There's no one like our God. There's nothing that can stand against Stronghold you can't break, no life that you can't save. Our God, you never fail. Amen. Amen. We serve a big, awesome, and powerful God who has power even in His name, and that's something I want us to keep considering. What does the name of Jesus Christ play? What role does that play in our lives? We know this one. Let's sing together. Oh, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought.
Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is power in the name of the God that we serve. In conversation, it can change people's attitudes, minds, hearts, and spirits. I've experienced this at work, just bringing up, yeah, I I follow Jesus Christ. People get cringy. People get different. People get more comfortable. There's power in his name, amen? And there's power in his ability to change our lives. I believe that, and let's sing that together. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. All sufficient. All sufficient. Sufficient sacrifice.
Father, thank you that the power that you have, not only in heaven, but here on earth, Lord, we claim that this morning. Would you be working and would your spirit be guiding us today? In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. Welcome to Calvary Church. If you have not been here before, welcome. You are our guest. And in the seat back in front of you, there is something there called the card. We would love to get to know you. Uh, and just interact a little bit. And so if you would fill that card out, bring it to the lobby. There's something called Connection Point Central. We have a gift for you if you would do that. And then it's also just a way for us to interact and pray for all of you. So empty the seats, take those out, and we want to be in prayer for you. Also want to let you know now that we are officially in July. This is VBS month. It is here. We are excited. Are we excited? Okay, good. Uh, Our theme this year is called Fun Factory. It's talking about God as maker and creator and that he has put us on this earth. We were built for a purpose. And so this month we want to just bring you in because this is a church-wide effort. And so everyone gets involved. And that could be anything from making sure that your kids or your grandkids are signed up. Go to our website and sign them up. You can actually volunteer. You can actually take a bunch of our uh, cards that we have, invite cards. Those are in the bulletin today. But we have a whole bunch more if you need more. But go out and invite people. But a huge effort also is that we need to feed the beasts. So um, we need crazy stuff like thousands and thousands of things. Okay, So what we've done in the past is we've taken this and put it in the bulletin for you. And you've gone out and you've bought stuff like 30,000 napkins. We love that. We appreciate it. But what we're asking you to do this year is we're going to be putting out tags next week in the lobby. And it'll be stuff you can get from Costco, Smart and Final, or Target. And what we want is next week when those are out there, you just start grabbing tags. Not just grabbing them, but then you take those and you buy the thing that is on the tag. You know those like booths where there's like a wind machine and there's like dollars spinning around everywhere? That's like my dream come true. I could get in one of those booths and just start grabbing money. I want it to feel like that in the lobby next week. How many tags could I possibly get so I could buy all of this stuff so that we can feed the little people? All right? So let's get involved. And that's going to start next week. And uh, just be in prayer for the effort and uh, that God is going to do something great. So We will be talking about this more, but this is just a warning for you all, all right? And then we also just want to welcome back, we have two teams that came back. Our middle schoolers were up in San Francisco this week, and they were doing ministry in San Francisco, so awesome. And then our college students, they were in Thailand and Cambodia. And so they came back, and uh, I've already heard some of the reports. We haven't had like the full lowdown, but great things, and we hope to report the good stuff that God did through them in the weeks to come. But we still have two teams, uh, two high school teams out. One is in Costa Rica. They're coming back tomorrow night. And in our Albania team, they will be back later this week. So 
Oh, all right. We like Albania. So um, just keep them in prayer as they come back and finish up their work over there. Um, Right now, we're going to have our ushers come forward, and we are going to be praying for our offering. This is how we worship through our giving this morning. So would you join me as we do that and continue on in worship? Father God, thank you so much for your goodness in our lives. Thank you that you you care deeply about each of us and where we're at today. Um, Thank you for the work that's being done not just here on this campus today, but that we are spreading out and uh, work is being done in your name all around the world. And so, Lord, would you make your name great in this place and everywhere that we are at this morning. Um, Thank you for your love. And we pour out our offerings of praise and sacrificial giving this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. this next song, I just want you to consider that it is by the precious blood of Jesus that name who who bought it all for us, that we're even able to sing this song that we can claim our inheritance as children of God under his grace and no longer be slaves, let's sing together you unravel me With a melody, you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. And I'm no longer a slave. child of God, and I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God, from my mother's womb, from my mother's womb. Chosen me, your love has called me, and I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins, and I'm no longer a slave to fear.
as children of God, we have the full inheritance of Christ. We have power in his name. We are saved from our sins. Live in that. Rejoice in that. That we are one with Christ. Freedom, liberty, it's something we celebrate, something we take pride in, something we have struggled so hard for and have so strongly defended. But true freedom, it's not something we attain or something we have to fight for. It's something we simply accept. God has already made us free through Christ, free from our guilt and shame, free from our past failures, free from the chains of this world, free from our sin. This freedom isn't something we can gain on our own. It's a gift we must accept from God. We are blessed to live in a country where we have these liberties that we celebrate, to speak our minds, to disagree, to meet together and worship God. But without the true freedom offered through Jesus Christ, it all means nothing, and we still remain slaves to fame, to money, to lust, and to self. But Christ has made us truly free, free to live out our true purpose, to glorify God. We no longer show glory to the things of this world. In everything we do, we glorify the only one who is deserving. 
today full of the freedom given us by Jesus. We do what we were created to do. We give God all the glory. Well, this week is 4th of July, and so we want to just take a moment this morning and just be thankful for the freedom that we have, for this country that we have. And so would you just join me before we get started, and let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you have forged together this nation by your good grace, and that you have called us into this place in time that we might stand up in this place and give you glory. To be your hands and feet on this earth and declare your name and who you are and what you have set out to do. And my prayer is that as people look at us, that they would see you. That we would be pointing our life in every direction, every way possible. That our lives are testimony to your good grace here on this earth and in this country. And we look forward to your kingdom, which is an everlasting kingdom where there is no red state and there's no blue state, but that we are united by your love and by the power of your Holy Spirit. So would you go before us today and even into this week and help us to sense your power and presence in our lives and strengthen us so that we might live in the way that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. What if we went back? What if we actually said, you know what, this whole American experiment is not working. Let's, let's go back under English rule. And we'll yell out, God save the queen. And we'll probably like tea just a little bit more than coffee. And the queen kind of gives an address. Somebody actually went through this and they said, let's, let's pretend for a moment that, that that's where we are at. Let's say that we go back and this might be something that the queen, if she were to give a little statement to us on nationally televised television. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but stop. All right. She says, it's good to be back in Washington. The queen starts her speech to the state banquet in the White House. Sometimes I'm asked why the name of a man who was, after all, hanged for treason should, be retained, should have been retained as the name of this great city. I answer that although George Washington was indeed a rebel, he was nonetheless a courageous and farsighted man. For a short period, he believed he had achieved an independent America and signed a declaration to that effect in 1776. If it not had been for my great-great-great-great-grandfather George III's re-invasion and subsequent victory in the War of 1812, I might be coming here as a guest from Britain rather than as your sovereign queen. In the light of my ever-advancing age, I will be spending more time at my residences in Kentucky and Florida than hitherto, enjoying the horse breeding and racing opportunities of the former and the mild climate of the latter. It's kind of interesting, this idea of why would we go back if this is how we have it now? 
uh, there is a man who wrote a, a, a letter actually to the queen just two years ago. And this was in response to uh, after a Republican primary debate in 2015. And he writes a letter to the queen. And this is actually what he says. On behalf of the American people, I urgently implore you to take us back. Clearly, the options we have to lead us aren't up to par. Again, please, I beg of you, make the United States of America a colony of the United Kingdom. For further reasons as to why this is such a necessary, albeit drastic, step, I refer to tonight's Republican Party primary debate. Thank you, and God save the Queen. This is a real letter somebody actually wrote. And he actually got a response from the office of the Queen, and this is what it said. I've been asked to write in response to your recent letter to the Queen in which you express your views about the American government. Whilst, whilst your views have been noted, you will appreciate, I am sure, that there can be no question of the Queen intervening in the affairs of another sovereign state. She turned it down. So, for now, we are here as the United States of America. Somebody who read that article and saw that letter said, what we need is a declaration of... Dependence, not independence. I want us to see what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians. We've been in this series for a little bit now. And he's talking to a group of people that say, our declaration of dependence is that we want to go back to how it was. We want to follow the law again instead of this idea and concept that we are wholly and totally saved by the grace of God. And so it's a split for us. Where is it that we put our dependence? Do we put it on the law that basically was put in effect to restrain evil? Or do we put our dependence on Jesus Christ, who has set us free from the law, set us free from sin and death? How is it that we are called to live? And so this morning we are in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 21. And I'm calling this the story of two sons. And I'll show you why. We're going to get a lot of historical context this morning. And Paul is trying to highlight some things for us that we, even today, need to pay attention to. So in Galatians 4.21, let's just start out. And there is an outline in the bulletin that you got. And you'll be able to follow along, hopefully. And he says this. Tell me. You who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now when he says, you who want to be under the law, there is an assumption that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are going to live out and follow the law. Not out of compulsion, not out of justification, trying to get ourselves saved but that out of a love of God, even out of the heart of David, oh, how I love your law, I meditate on your word all of the time. But that what he's saying is you who put yourself under the law, that your whole dependence on your salvation rests on your activity. Your whole dependence on whether you make it into heaven or not depends on you keeping all of the rules. And he says, for those of you who kind of live your life like that, You're not even listening to the law. 
And as a result, they are putting themselves in their own boxes of legalism. They're saying, this is the box that I am choosing to live in and I cannot operate outside of that because I am totally restrained by the law. And this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live my life. Now, Tim Keller has a great commentary on the book of Galatians. If you want to like dig deeper, then that is a phenomenal book you can jump into. But he outlines kind of four types of people. And I guarantee you that you are in one of these. And this is in your outline as well. Um, but if you see this, you have in this first box is the law-obeying, law-relying person. These are people who are like the Pharisees. They say, the only way that we can have the approval of God that we can have our salvation is because we are going to do A, B, C, and D. And we are going to follow the rules altogether. And what it does is the Pharisees were this group of people back in Jesus' day that were very like kind of finger pointing at you saying, well, you're not doing this. You're not, they're just waiting for you to not follow the law. And if we could just point that out enough, then we can show you that you're not saved and you actually need to be like us. So externally, they are sure that they're right with God, but internally there is this insecurity because you can't possibly get it all right all of the time. The second group, the second box, is those who are law disobeying but law relying. I think that this is probably where many of us today fit. Now, we wouldn't say this, but I think in our heart, in our mind, this is kind of where we, where we put ourselves, is we say, I, I, I have to follow all of the rules. I'm reliant on the law, but I'm not very good at it. So we don't have the pomp and the circumstance of the Pharisees because they're doing it right. We understand that we are broken and sinful, messed up creatures, and that we fail to do it right a lot of the time. And because of that, we constantly feel this guilt. I'm not doing it right. I keep messing up, and therefore my salvation is in jeopardy. I, I think that that's where I sit a lot of the times, is, man, I'm messing up left and right. My sin life is out of control. The sin management is out of control. They're on vacation. And so because of this, I put my salvation in jeopardy. And then there's this other group. They are law disobeying and not law relying. When it says that the way to the kingdom to eternal life, there is a narrow road that leads to everlasting life, but the way that leads to destruction is wide. The path that leads there is wide. This is a large part of our human population today. Basically saying, I will make up my own laws and that will give me my own salvation. It's those who are reckless and apart from the will of God and following his law whatsoever. So they say, hey, we don't have to do anything we don't want to do. We've come up with our own morality we have our own set of rules. And as long as we follow whatever it is that we want to follow, we're in. We're good. And then there's this fourth one. This is the law-obeying, but not law-relying. Hopefully these are the Christians who understand the gospel. They're living it out out of the freedom of it. This is what I said even just look at so many of the Psalms of David. And David is just, go, go to just Psalm 119. And it's, it's like 150 verses on how much David loves the law. But it's not out of this compulsion of I've got to do it. It's not out of this guilt. It's not out of this arrogance that I've got to do it. But I just love God. And because I love God, I'm compelled to do his will. I'm compelled to follow his law, because how he has set up the law, how he set up our lives, is that if we obey him, we will have the best possible 
life. But if we mess up, then we mess up and God's grace comes in and pours in again. And so this is essentially today about the grace of God. And what I want you to hear is that God's grace is for those who are barren. Let me explain. Go with me to verse 22. In verse 22, it says this. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And the son... By the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. Let me pause there for a second. He's going to take a real and historical event that we're going to look back on right now in the book of Genesis. And we're going to learn this story. But he says, don't take the metaphor too far. We're going to actually look at this story and there is some kind of spiritual truth that we are supposed to get from this. And hopefully by the end of this, we'll have a good sense of what that is. Now, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, which is representative of the law, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, now he quotes Isaiah 54. Rejoice barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you brethren like Isaac are children of the promise. Now listen up. This is a big and heavy passage. I want you to see this, and I want to basically tell the story of what's going on here. And why is Paul reaching back thousands of years to illustrate this story? So he says Abraham had two sons, one of the flesh and one of the promise. Let me give you some of the family tree. This is Abraham. Now, we read about Abraham and God gives him this promise. It's maybe one of the most essential passages in all of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm making a promise to you that there is a covenant. This is an irrevocable covenant. This is an unconditional covenant. It doesn't matter what you do, Israel. If you follow me, if you trust in me, this is all up to me. And he says, I'll give you a land and there'll be a seed. And there's, there's a blessing here. He says, follow me, Abraham. Now, Abraham is pretty old when he gets this. In fact, he's 75 years old, and he doesn't have any kids at this point. And he's saying, well, how, how, how are we going to do this? His wife is the free woman. Her name is Sarah. And together, Abraham and Sarah, they have an Egyptian maidservant. Her name is Hagar. And Paul is referring to her as the bondwoman. Now, we're going to read about her story right now. So keep your finger in Galatians 4 and then jump back all the way to the beginning of the story in Genesis 16. And in Genesis 16, we hear the story. Genesis 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. 
Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar. She conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. I want you to hear this. Ten years after the promise. Ten years of waiting. And Abraham and Sarah, who are now ten years older, 85 years old. She's now 75 years old. They're twiddling their thumbs saying, well, how's this going to happen? And so when the promise couldn't be taken care of, when God wasn't coming through apparently for them, they said, hey, let's go get our Egyptian maid. She's young. She's beautiful. Abram, go take her and we will help God out and we will have the promise. We'll just kind of come alongside God and we'll make this happen. Well, they do. And the result of that is baby Ishmael. This is 10 years in. This is not a good thing. But before you start to judge Abraham and Sarah, I just think how many times do I get impatient with God? I mean, have we really ever waited like 10 years for God to come through on something that we thought he promised us? It's, it's kind of amazing that they waited 10 years. So 10 years later, they come in and they say, all right, God, I uh, guess maybe you're not going to do it this way. We're going to go do it this way. We're helping you out. And so Ishmael comes along. And so some of the characteristics of this relationship that was born out of the flesh, there's not really a, a mystery. Hagar is this young woman and he was born, Ishmael is born out of the flesh. We have this, this comparison that Paul is trying to get us to understand. He says that the law covenant of Mount Sinai in Arabia, present city Jerusalem, in slavery, Abraham is trusting in himself and his actions rather than waiting on the promise of God. What Paul is trying to address to the Galatians is there's this whole crop of people that are talking to the Galatians saying, you need to follow the law. You need to go back to the law. We know that you're Gentiles, but you need to follow the rules, and the rules will save you. Well, this is not a really great thing. And so as we go through this, if you look in chapter 17 now of Genesis, God makes this covenant, and God repeats this covenant more than once. He does it in, in chapter 12, he does it in chapter 15, and he does it again in chapter 17. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. And then if you go to chapter 18, verse 9. There's this situation where Abraham has some visitors. And they said, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, there, in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door 
which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. In fact, if you look in Romans and if you look in Hebrews, it says that Abraham, at this point, he was as good as dead. And it said that the womb of Sarah was also as good as dead. The deadness of her womb. There's no way that they're going to conceive now at 99 years old and she's 89 years old. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure? She's saying, Abraham and I are not making love anymore. We're past this time. My Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I'm so old? And then check out this, this verse right here. Verse 14, Is anything... Too difficult for the Lord. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah will have a son. Well, her story is now told a couple chapters later. If we go to Genesis chapter 21, a lot of context, but we're going to come back to Galatians. Hang in there. Genesis 21.1, it says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. No kidding. You're 90 years old. Now can you imagine the faith when he started out and received this promise? He's 75 and he's waited now 20 Five years, and finally the promise of God has come. And so Isaac is this promised child that God wants to have his line come through. And he's representative of the promise, not the law. And he's talking about a future Jerusalem that is from above and is set free. This is a supernatural miracle. You have to understand what's going on here because... This doesn't just happen. This is a promise. Now, Paul is telling all of the Galatians, he says, you can't do this by following the law. You can't get your salvation by following the law. The the law is like Hagar. There's slavery right here. And this whole scenario is pointing to another conception. A couple thousand years later, a virgin who should have never been able to be with child, gives birth to another son, a son of the promise. Throughout the last couple chapters of Galatians, Paul has basically been like throwing gas out. And in this chapter, he's taking the match and he's throwing it. He's lighting things up because he's saying all of those law abiders in Jerusalem... 
All of those who think that they're getting their salvation by doing all of these works, by following all of the laws, he's saying, Sarah's not their mother. He's saying, Hagar is. If you're a Jew in Jerusalem a couple thousand years ago, how do you think you're responding to this? Fireworks. This does not sit well. But what he's trying to say is that they are going back. They are going back to following the laws that really they just had to rely on the promise of God. It's unthinkable. It's impossible that a 90-year-old woman would give birth to a child. And can you imagine, like, I'm, I'm 40 and we're done. There's no way. There's no possible, like, you have to leave them on the doorstep and all of you are gone. And we like be looking at each other saying, like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? But a 100-year-old man, a 90-year-old woman, it has to be a miracle. And God says that this is what your salvation is like. If you have faith, Abraham and Sarah, they, they struggled with their faith. They did. They struggled. And they, at times, tried to take things into their own hands. I, I have the question for you is, where is it in your life that you struggle to believe in the promises of God? And that could be with all kinds of situations in your life. I mean, some of you, you are struggling with infertility and barrenness. I mean, back in those days, that was like a symbol of your value was could you actually bear a child? And some of us, we still feel that today. But are you also waiting on your marriage to change? Are you waiting for your family life to come back together? Are you waiting for a break in your finances? Are you waiting for your children that are struggling with addiction? Are you struggling with addiction and you are not anymore, any longer resting on the promises that God will be with you, that God will deliver you, but now you're going to take things into your own hands. And so we struggle and we continue to go back to following the law. And we think that it's in all of our effort and all of our work that's going to save us. The picture that Paul is trying to paint for these people is when you have nothing left, when everything has been taken and you think that there's no possibility of moving forward, that God wants to intervene in your life and he is going to be faithful to you in his promise. And the promise comes through our belief, our putting our trust and our faith. And so that grace is given to us all. It's this picture of moving out of slavery and into sonship. That grace is not just for a fertile Hagar, but it's also for a barren Sarah. Now go back to Galatians for a second. And in Galatians, Paul does a couple of things. In verse 27, he's quoting Isaiah 54. And in Isaiah 54, it says this. It says, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. This in Isaiah. See, Isaiah is using, it's kind of crazy because we're talking about three different time periods. We have the Galatians and Paul. And Paul's bringing back to Isaiah. And Isaiah is going back to Genesis 16. Because at this point in time, Israel is in Babylonian exile. They're looking at all of the other countries around them, how they're building up strength. And they're saying, we will never be a nation again. That we are done for. 
And the prophecy of Isaiah at this point is saying, hold on, God is in the business of doing the impossible in your life. And that the grace of God extends to us all. This is important because our calling is this this beauty of we are working our way out. And it's not even us working our way out. It's, it's, It's the belief in we are no longer slaves. And we don't, just like the song we sang, no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of God. We are children of the promise. And what happens when you are children is you receive an inheritance because you are an heir. When you're an heir, you receive the inheritance. And it's not a paycheck because you did all of this work, but it is a gift. Check this out. Go to Romans with me for a second. Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8, look at verse 14. It says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you understand? And I think that maybe a lot of our struggle as believers, a lot of our struggle in in our time of prayer, our time of reading the Bible, I think that many times that we look to God as the judge who banged his gavel and set us free from the punishment But we don't understand our adoption as children. And therefore, when we look at God, we don't cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out, thank you, judge. And I think for me, the difficulty is, now uh, Rick Larsh, I don't know if you're here, but he's a judge. So I love Rick, but I have to say this anyway. I don't want to go on a road trip with a judge. I want to go with my father, right? We don't want to go play catch with a judge He's going to say, oh, you're throwing it wrong or this, this, right? But we want to go with our Father. And so when we are freed up to realize that we are adopted in, that we are heirs to his grace, that we have an inheritance, it changes everything for us. Because now we see God for who he is. He is our Father. He is our Daddy. And that should motivate us. That should draw us in. I want to spend time with this God. And so for those of us who are struggling with, I'm not following all the rules, and I've got to do this right, Paul is saying, no, you are free. You are children of the promise. And even more so, Paul is writing to the Gentiles who ethnically are not Sarah's children, but he says, you are brought in now. You are children of the promise. And so don't live under the law. Live under my grace. And this is an invitation. Now, Romans 8, it, it's also, it's, it, it doesn't end all that well. I, I, don't, I, I have to be honest with you for a second, because if you look at this, it says, verse 16, it says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. 
See, this is the part of following Jesus that we struggle with is that if we are followers of him, if we really are his children, then we are also called into suffering with him. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so I think that what we want to do is kind of separate this out, and we don't want it to say all. We want to say, like, some of the people um, will be persecuted, and I'll pray for them. Um, But what we've been called into is, yes, we are sons and daughters of the king, and we have this inheritance, but there is also a call for us into suffering. But we have something that we receive in this. If you look in Psalm 73... David says this, and he, he asks this question, and just listen for a moment. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even David is getting this, and he says, my heart and my flesh, the actions that I do, he says, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to sin and I'm going to fail, but God is my portion forever. And that is our inheritance. We have God. We have this heavenly kingdom, this new Jerusalem to look forward to. But what Paul is saying, he says, there will be trouble. And this trouble exists today between Abraham's two sons. Because the people... Of, of Abraham and Sarah, the Israelites today, are still at war with the people of Abraham and Hagar, the sons of Ishmael. And there's this battle and there's this enmity. But what we want to know and what we want to believe today is that for those of us who are called by God, for those of us who put our trust and our faith in him, that it's not about all of our effort and it's not about all of our work so we can stop this rat race of trying to do all of our sin management so that we look like we have it together on the outside. And the passage ends with this. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. And if we just sneak into chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll get into this more next week, it says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. We are called to live into the grace of God and to receive that as a gift. And this is the gospel message, friends, is that you are loved as much in your failures and as much in your sin as you are in your goodness and all of your effort. God does not love you anymore because you're doing it right or because you had a good day or a good week, but that God loves you when you mess up. And God loves you when you fail. He says you are no longer, stop living as slaves to the bondwoman. You are sons of promise. Salvation in Christ. This is Philip Ryken. He says salvation in Christ does not rest in a law that we inevitably break. It rests on a promise that God cannot break. What I want us to do right now is we get to enter into a time of fellowship with God through communion. 
um, where we take in the elements. And I want you to remember the promise that we have and that Jesus' fulfillment of that promise, that he came so that we might have life. And so as we take these elements, we're going to have the bread and the cup. We remember his body and we remember the blood and that we have freedom. This is the gospel of freedom. And so whatever those questions are, whatever it is that you are waiting on God for, that this is a moment where you can pause and you can say, God, I need to stop trying to do all of this in my own effort and I am going to rely on you, your blood, your promise, your work on the cross and not my own. Let's pray. So God, as we receive these elements, as we take them and we hold them in our hands, um, would you remind us this morning that all of our effort and all of our work, all of our sincere trying to do it right, we still mess up and we're still in need of your grace. And my hope for us as a community this morning is that we would remember. That we would remember that you've called us to yourself, that you call us your sons and daughters and you invite us into a relationship with you where we don't have to say, judge or your honor, but that you are our Abba. You are our Father. You are a good dad. And so we come in this moment and we remember the work of your son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of our sins. And we put our trust and faith in that today. So free us from our efforts, free us from our having to do it all and that we would obey you and love you. That our obedience to your laws are because we love you. And so in these moments right now, I pray that your spirit would be guiding us, that we would have communion and fellowship with you. In Jesus' name.
elements. Jesus is sitting with his followers and he's trying to get his kingdom into the hearts and the lives of his people. And he, he takes this bread and he says, this is my body and I'm about to give it. And this is going to change everything. And whenever you do this ritual, whenever you take this, remember that it's my work on the cross and it's not your work anymore. Just believe in me, you will have eternal life. And so this bread became so significant throughout 
the generations and the decades and the centuries that would follow. And, and for now 2,000 millennia, we as the church have taken this bread and it's a reminder of his body that was given for us. But let this today remind you, it's his work. It's not your work that saves. And so as you take this this morning, let's take this together. Let's do this in remembrance of it. And he takes the cup of redemption. He says, this is going to redeem you. It's not going to be easy. This is my work. This is my calling. This is my mission. And covenants were always ratified with blood. And so Jesus pours out his blood so that today in this place, we claim his victory. His victory over sin his victory over death and that should call us into a life of freedom so as we take this cup let's do this and let's remember that and right now we're going to take one more offering you're probably thinking what we just did one um, once a month we take what we call an ENF or emergency needs fund offering. Um, there are some of you who have been recipients of this. There are some of you who have been givers towards this. This is our way of taking care of one another. Um, this is our way of sometimes you hit hard times and you need some help financially. And so we want to come alongside as the body of Christ. And so this allows us to be generous as you are generous. And so we receive an offering for those who are just struggling financially. And so it's an honor, it's a blessing for us to be able to meet with some of you in those times of need. And so if you're in a spot that you need some help, then that's what we want to do. We want to be able to help those of you who are part of this body. And so we receive this offering in that spirit. And so as we do that... Um, we'll pass that. You can give freely and generously. Um, and then let's continue. This is an act of worship. So we worship through our giving, but then we also worship through our voice and through this music. And so we'll continue to do that. But let me pray over this offering. Lord God, uh, we have so much. And so it's it's easy to just kind of keep going through our lives. And we... We have. And I also know that, God, there are people here today that had to take the bus here, that put their last few dollars in their gas tank in the last couple days, are wondering how their next meal is going to come or where they're going to sleep this week. And those are part of our body here. And so we use this as a way to take care of each other this morning, that we reach out our hand in love say that we care about you and we want to come alongside. And so free up our hearts from wanting to hold back anything that we want for whatever plans that we may have had for that this afternoon or later this week. And uh, Lord, that we would be generous with one another. 
knowing that you're with us, you look on us right now and you know our hearts and where our hearts are at. So Lord, receive this and then receive, God, our offering of praise that we'd sacrifice right now as we lift up our voices in praise to you. This is an expression of our love. In Jesus' name, amen.
week as you celebrate with fireworks, too much food, and friends. Uh, My prayer is that you realize and remember the freedom that we have. Um, Not just the freedom here in the United States of America, but that you've been set free by the love of Jesus Christ. That we put our trust in him and that we have that grace. And so stop working so hard. That doesn't mean just go out and sin. But that we are compelled to follow his law because we Love him. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to connect with you. Go out and be blessed.